Alright, we are all quite familiar with uh, messaging app, so Telegram, WhatsApp, Signal, whatever that you have. I'm not sure whether have you ever had your app kind of show 800 messages within a span of hour or two. There are, there are two particular chat groups in my Telegram app uh, that at times will reach four, five, six hundred uh, within an hour or two. And these are actually the two chat groups that I have among the birding community. So I love to do bird watching. So every time when there is a rare, or maybe a not so common bird that is sighted, the whole birding community kind of stirs to action. There'll be photos, there'll be drop-ins, there'll be reports of his appearance that will flood the chats. What the birding community is doing is telling fellow birders very enthusiastically the news of rare finds. So as I reflected on this, on this level of enthusiasm within the birding community, I always wonder why such enthusiasm is not forthcoming within the Christian community to invite others to come to know this Jesus more. Have you ever wondered that? And in my reading of um, one of my lecturers, he wrote a book, his name is Sam Chan, he wrote a book called How to Talk About Jesus. Let me get a clicker. Yep, How to Talk About Jesus. He's a very down-to-earth writer, and I always like to enjoy, I always enjoy reading his book, and I commend this book for your reading. A very good and helpful book. And he wrote this observation that probably kind of reflect why we are not so enthusiastic or we are a bit more cautious when talking to people about Jesus. So he wrote, the story here is, you have this person by the name of John, and John is madly in love with Jane. But you see, the, the feeling isn't mutual. Jane still views John just as a friend. And that put John in a very tricky position. If he overplays his romantic intention, he will drive her away. But if he underplays his romantic intention, he will miss out the chance to date her. And you may ask them, Pastor Joe, we're talking about evangelism. Why are you telling me about dating? Right? So this is, I think, a very similar dilemma that us as Christians face. So how, when we talk about friends or our friends about Jesus, see, right now, think of your group of friends. They are in this, what they call, friend zone. We want to tell our friends about Jesus. We want them to come to worship God, know Jesus, and believe in Jesus. But if we overplay this Jesus thing, you think to ourselves, we risk driving them away. And they will never want to have another awkward conversation with us again about Jesus. Have you been in that position before? You sit down with somebody, you share the gospel, then you ask, you want to believe or not? And then you say, no, I don't want. They're like, hmm, what do I do now? Invite him for lunch? A bit too feverish. Uh, invite him for a movie? Mm, not quite right too. Or if you underplay it, and we just, nah, nah, better not share, better not share. Our friends may not get a chance to hear the gospel from us. If this is your dilemma, well, at least this book will give you some helpful insight. But hopefully, 
our current, seri- our current series on evangelism, using two ways to live, may also help you to gain some confidence, give you some insight to ease the dilemma, and to help you talk about Jesus in a more natural way. The other possible reason that why we may not be so enthusiastically sharing Jesus could be fear. What are we fearful of? We are fearful that we might not be able to present the gospel message clearly. So after, 11, after 9 o'clock service, I was talking to somebody, he said, yeah, 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 I always fearful, you know, that I say the wrong thing. Better leave it to the pastor. Leave it to Pastor Sengun, Pastor Adrian, Pastor Chris, or even leave it to my DG leaders. They will do a better job than me. If this is your fear, if this is the barrier that stops you from wanting to share the gospel, there is hope. The series of Bible studies, the sermons, we pray and hope that will equip us and prepare us to share the good news with confidence. See, every one of us who proclaim that Jesus is Lord in my life actually has a miracle to share. What is that miracle? That miracle is God moving us from away from darkness into light. There is a miracle that everyone who profess to believe in Jesus will have, will experience. Because that work of moving us from darkness into light can only be done by none other than God and God Himself. It's like a candle. You put a candle, you light it, the candle will shine. The flame on top of the candle will shine. No matter what, you will keep shining until the wax runs out. But this is how it works as a believer. You cannot say, now that God has moved me from darkness into light, I don't want to shine. You can't. You will have to shine. But how do we shine? We shine by testifying to God's grace and salvation work in your life and my life. We may not be able to fully articulate the gospel message, but each one of us surely has a salvation story to share. And that's why I told her, share how you come to believe in Jesus. I knew this lady two years ago, and then now she just told me, oh, you know, Pastor Joe, when is the next baptism service? I want to be baptized. I said, you have a story to tell. And that story is how God brought you two years ago, non-Christian. Now you want to become, now you want to be baptized. Most of us has attended our new member service before, and you have heard testimony after testimony. I hope you are encouraged by those testimonies. And those testimonies are the visual way, very, very visually showing us that each one of them that stands up here to want to be baptized or transfer, share about how God has touched their life. And we see a glimpse, we see Christ in, those, in the lives of those who shared their testimony. And so let me share with you three truths. Three truths that can help us to overcome and grow our desire and enthusiasm to talk more about Jesus. Yeah, the first truth is that God is the one who changes the heart of the person. Not you, not me. 
And what does that mean? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 to 5. Say, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe. As the Lord assigned to each, I plant, Apollos water, God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. But we are God's fellow workers. You are God's few, God's building. Of course, if you, if you go back to the context of chapter 1 Corinthians, you know that it's about division. The, Corinth, the church in Corinth were divided. Some say they follow Paul, some say they follow Apollos. And Paul tells them that it is God who moves heart and reshape heart. It's God who causes the growth. And I believe that principle is applicable to our gospel-sharing endeavor. It is the same God who will reshape, who will speak to the hearts of our friends who we share the gospel with. And so, it's just like gardening. I don't know how many of you all uh, do gardening. As, a, as we do gardening, our role is to take care of plants through a careful watering, pruning, and providing the right nutrients. And after we have done all that, what do we do? We wait. Wait for what? We wait for God to bring growth. So similarly, as we intentionally reach out to our yet-to-believe friends, our family members, we are like the gardener, pruning, watering, repotting, providing the right nutrients so that, so that they can grow as God touches their heart. And our role is to put them in the right location, the right context, so that they have the maximum connection and contact with Christians. And that's what we do. We share our lives, we read the Bible with our friends, and eventually, by God's grace, we share the gospel clearly with them. And then we look to the Lord. We look to the Lord in prayer that He will shape and He will move their hearts. So by having this, holding on to this truth, I think you should free us, free us from the mentality of closing a deal. We are not closing a deal here. We are talking about pointing and journeying with our friends who have yet to believe to a point where they can know Jesus for themselves. And so we must continue to pray. We neither underplay nor overplay our reaching them for Jesus, but we share our lives with them. And that brings me to my, my second point, that sharing the gospel is a community project. Why is it so? We are not that solo commando style. We don't take somebody by the, by the, by the shoulder and say, listen to me now, I'm telling you the gospel. It's not going to work, isn't it? It's not going to work. Sam Chan in his book about how to talk about Jesus provides very good and helpful ways and I guess insight and also uh, options for us to reach out to our friends as community. So when is your, what is your community? Which is your community? 
we actually have God-given community already. The very first community, if you are family or believers, is your family. Have you ever wondered, can I invite a non-Christian neighbour, invite non-Christian friends to my house, have dinner together, enjoying, kick back a bit, maybe watch the National Day Parade, watch the election, whatever you want to watch, watch something godly and edifying. And through that, what you are slowly introducing them is to what a Christian family life looked like. And the next community is what? Church, ARPC, your DG. Have you considered inviting your friends to DG so that they meet other Christians and they see, hey, you know, there are Christians from all shapes and sizes, some tall, some short like me, some skinny, some fat like me. Hey, they are also from all walks of life, doing different jobs, having different struggles. And as they share, as he or DG may share, they say, hey, Christian, real. And that's what we need to do. We need to come together as a community to spur one another on and to, and to expose our friends to what we call the Christian community. The third thing, that sharing the gospel is sharing your life, my life, under God. And what does that mean? In 1 Peter, you can write down the reference and then read it and, and refer that later or you can turn to the Bible with you, with me now. 1 Peter 3, 15. Say, but in your hearts, receive a revered Jesus as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. At work, at school, your neighbourhood, there will be friends at whom you are close to. So now I ask you, think of a non-Christian friend. Is there a name to it? Yes? A name to your non-Christian friends? Then you ask yourself, they need Jesus? This non-Christian friend that I just named, does he or she need Jesus? Of course the answer is yes. So I'm not asking you to go down to the street or Orchard Road and talk to any stranger. I'm not asking you to, to just go up to any stranger and say, do you want to know Jesus? No. I'm asking you to think of this one friend, these two friends, these three friends that you are close, that you are already sharing life with. And all I'm asking you to do is to consciously, intentionally share with them about how God makes a difference in your life. Not difficult, isn't it? We all go through anxious moments. We all experience disappointing moments. Where is God in this? Where is God in the anxious moment? Where is God in the disappointing moment? Share with them. I'm sure we all have joyous time. We all have uplifting, encouraging time. Where is God in that? Share with them. Share with them those moments. And by doing that, by doing that, you are showing them that this Jesus that I'm talking about is not just a man that lived 2,000 years ago. 
This Jesus I'm talking about is alive in me today. This Jesus that I'm talking about see me through difficult times. This Jesus I'm talking about is with me when I go through joyous moments. This Jesus is as real 2,000 years ago as as real now. I think that is what we want our friends to see. And I witnessed this personally in church, in my own life. Church folks have tell me that when they do that, when they share lives with their friends and bring God into the picture, just casually, they get friends coming to them and say, hey, you know, you share about this difficult time and your God help you. I'm going through a difficult time now. Can you pray for me? You know you have got at it. You know you have a foot into their life. Of course, your answer is, I will pray for you. And you follow that up by saying, a week or two later, say, how has that been? How has that been? And then we pray that as we do that, that God gave us opportunity to share and point them to God's Word. And then hopefully by doing that, by sharing life, that our reaching them for Jesus become less awkward and more natural. And so hopefully I've given you a glimpse, these three truths, these three truths to help you to have some confidence to go about sharing the gospel. But you may still ask that question, Pastor Joe, where do I begin? What is the gospel message? There is no one set way to share the gospel. There are some good ways, some carefully calibrated ways. Many years ago, I was involved in a ministry that reached out to overseas postgraduate students. And the simple thing, we will just have English conversation class. So once a week, we meet, we, get, we, come, we come together, the postgraduate student will come, and then we just talk. We either have a topic that we talk about or the article that we discuss. For them, it was just, they want the conversation to build their confidence to speak English. But for us, was organizing it, every week we prayerfully, thoughtfully craft the topic or choose the article that will allow us to talk about God. So I met this brother from one of the Southeast Asian countries. He came to Singapore to do his second PhD. I'm not sure why somebody wants to do a two PhD, but that's what he did. He's a very smart guy. He came very regularly because in this second PhD, apparently he seems to need to present quite a fair bit. And, and he's not very confident in his English. So he's very regular. He's very regular. And he will ask questions. He will sometimes ask us, I'm doing this presentation today. Can you help me? To, to work through my, my presentation. And after a few months, I felt that he's ready to move on to something more. So I asked him, hey, I, I'm free on this morning, you know, you know, meet me and we can keep talking and keep share, I keep sharing with you, allowing you to practice your English. He said, yes, 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 of course, of course. But I said, I got one caveat, I got one condition. I will use the Bible as our basis. He said, no problem. Anything English, can. 
So good, my way in. We talk, I walk him through Genesis. As I was doing through Genesis, because of his upbringing and his educational context, he found it very hard to see this God or to see there's a God and this God is a creator. But it's okay. We went through Genesis. I brought him through the Gospel of John. But after a couple of months of doing that, Genesis, John, I was just thinking to myself, I was getting a bit, I was getting a bit disappointed that this guy doesn't seem to be opening up to the Gospel. And, and to him, it seems, I just want to talk to Joe and practice my English. So I was a bit discouraged. I brought it to the team and said, hey, you know, I'm going through with this guy, very good opportunity, but nothing seems to connect. And so we prayed. And I went back to him and we continued that conversation. And I said, okay, now we are done, John. Let's do Matthew. And so as we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, and when we reach the Sermon on the Mount, suddenly there was this spark in his eyes, as if he had not read the Bible before, then now this is the one. And I was so excited. You can see my excitement now, even though it's many years ago. I was so excited. I was just walking through with him, verse by verse. And then at the end, I asked him, why are you so excited about this portion of the Bible? And he told me, you know, if everybody in, in this whole world were to follow exactly and obey exactly what this Jesus says, we will have peace in this world. I press on a bit more. I say, but why? Why? But you, you seem disturbed. I say, yes, I am. Because we are not seeing that. People are not following what Jesus says. And I press home a bit and say, why? And you know, smart guy, he actually listened to Genesis and, and, and John. He told me, you know, you told me that there is this God that we offend. This God that we have sinned against. And because we sinned against Him, we offended Him, we choose to do things our way and not God's way. God's way. That is why we cannot have peace. It's like, wow. Thank God for that. And after a few more, it didn't, not immediately, I, I felt that it wasn't ready for me to, to push Him to say, do you want to believe? We went through the Beatitude, we went through the whole book of, God's, of, of, Mark, of, of Matthew, and eventually I asked Him, do you, still, do you want to believe in this person, Jesus? And to my joy, he said, yes. The point of the story is this, isn't it? That God has revealed himself to us through his word. Not a set of formulas, not a set of carefully crafted Bible passages and drawings. God has given us the whole message. And our role is to faithfully connect people to his word. And when we do that, we are like the gardener who sow, who water, who fertilize, and God in His own time will connect with them and remove the scale from their eyes and they will see Jesus. Our role is to water, to fertilize, to give them the right context and to do our part to care for them. So that's what we are doing for the next six weeks. Although I say that the whole Bible is the gospel, but we also know that if there are some carefully crafted passages that help us along, it will help us greatly. 
So we are doing these two ways to live. It follows a very simple outline of the essential gospel points, accompanied with Bible passages. Again, I want to remind us, it's not a set of formulas, but sound biblical gospel framework that will help us to point people to Jesus. And how the two ways to live is kind of organized. It involves drawing. Drawing not just for children, but for adults as well, right? So you're going to draw things like that, right? The sex story, the sex boxes. Uh, and you must see the joy of this DG who did it the first study. Last week, last Friday, I got this picture. Yeah, they all see all the smile, the face, all doing their drawing. And why are we doing this, all this drawing? So that we can help us, we can give us, you know, a handle to know or something for us to bring to our friends who are yet to believe to share the gospel. So the very first image there starts with God as our creator God. Right? So this is an image. God as a creator God. There's an earth. God is a creator and king over the earth. God made men and women to rule over the earth under his kingship. So there is God, there is man, and there is earth. And the passage that accompanies this drawing is Revelation 4.11. So who has DG reading? Don't be shy, raise your hand. No? Not yet. Okay, never mind. Maybe we can flash the opening passage. I want to take us through to memorize this verse. Okay? Not difficult. So let's see where it goes. The opening passage. Okay, we read together first. Then I'll get you all to memorize it, okay? I'll get it. I'll, I'll, I'll ask the LCD to switch off later. Okay? Opening passage. Yep. Let's read together. Worthy are you. Why is God worthy? Or who is, who is you? It's our Lord and our God. And why is He worthy? He is worthy to receive glory, honor, and power, for He created all things. And by His will, they exist and were created. Easy, right? So you go through this flow. Huh? Say, worthy are you. Who is you? Our Lord and our God. Worthy to do what? Worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. Why? Because He created all things, and by His will, they exist and were created. Easy, right? Okay, now we're going to switch it off. Let's try. Ready? Okay, office. Okay. One, two, three. Worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. Well done. Not too difficult. So as you memorize the different Bible passages, as you keep them in your heart and your mind, and then when you meet somebody and you share the gospel with them, you know, you say, wait, let me turn to, I don't know which verse. But you have it in your mind already. And that's what we are doing. That's what we are doing. But you may ask yourself, why did the gospel, why did the first gospel point start with creation and not Jesus? Shouldn't it start with Jesus? Let me illustrate. Come with me. Come with me to the art gallery. Are you there? And, you, and as we walk around the art gallery, we saw this picture. And I turned to you and said, you know, this picture came to being because some cans of paint was randomly tipped over the canvas and voila, this picture was produced. 
can see Pastor Joe, you are a bit crazy. Never mind. Come with me to the cool forest of Kinabaru Park. As you walk along, we saw this beautiful trogon, and I tell you, you know, some random particles just come together, and voila, came this beautiful bird. Think I'll never go bird watching with Joe, Pastor Joe. But let me change the narrative a bit. Let me change the narrative. Back to the, back to the gallery. And I tell you, this beautiful painting was the work of a famous painter, Rembrandt. He uses a method called a dynamic illumination to visually depict Christ's miracle in coming the sea. Light shines from the upper left of the painting, and the glimpse of that clear blue sky may be seen through the storm. As the scene moves towards the right, the boat and the disciples are thrown back into the shadow. Now you appreciate the painting a bit more? Yeah, this is, this is correct, this is correct. This is what should be. Right? There is a painter, a painter who carefully thinks about what he wants to paint and put it to work. Back to the bird. As you walk with me, I tell you, you know, God is amazing. That God wonderfully and beautifully created this biological structure for this bird to live. And He didn't just make the bird black and white, although they are black and white and they are beautiful as well. But God put blue, God put red, God put a tinge of brown into this bird. What a beauty. What a beauty. And this is what it is, isn't it? If we take God out of the picture, everything is random, by chance. But when God put God into the picture, we see a creator beautifully and wonderfully creating the whole creation to be what He wanted it to be. So when we take God out of the creation, we take God out of the origin of life, this is what the worldview would be. This is what they say. There is no evidence for God. There is no life after death. There is no absolute right or wrong. There is no ultimate meaning for life. That is when you take God out of the picture. And therefore now you realised why the beginning, the first gospel point is creation. We must believe that we worship a creator God. And that's what Paul says. You, you know, if you remember the responsive reading in Acts 17, and Paul in his missionary journey, as he went to Athens, Athens is known to be a very cultured and learned city. As Paul walked around, they are also very religious. They have a shrine to the unknown God. So you can follow me in Acts chapter 17, verse 22. And as Paul walked around, he took the opportunity to share with them his knowledge of this unknown God. And that's what he says to them. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hand, my men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul is telling the folks there, there is no unknown God. This God is known. He is 
the Creator God. He made the world and everything in it. He gave life to all mankind and He breathed breath into everything that is living. And He not only creates, He sustains and He has authority over all creation. As we see in verse 26, let's read together. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allocated periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, dwelling place. God is in no position to determine the allocated periods and boundaries of our dwelling if He is not the Creator God and He is not Lord of all. Thanks be to God, He is the Creator God and He is the Lord of all. God has no right to judge us and to charge us for sinning against Him if He is not the Creator God if He doesn't rule over all creation. Because there's nobody that will sin against. It's just me and me and me. But if His God is a creator God, He's a ruler of everything, He's a giver of life to everything, then we come under our God and He rule over all His creation. And then we rebel and we, and we fail to give thanks to God. We fail to acknowledge God as a creator. We sin against Him. God is in no position to send His Son Jesus to atone for the sin of the world, your sin and my sin, if He is not the Creator God. But it's not His business. Why should He do that? He has no reason to do that. But because He is the Creator God, He is our Lord, because we have sinned against Him, we have turned away from Him, He is now is in a journey to bring us back to Him again. So for those who are new with us, we've been doing Romans chapter 1 to 3, and in Romans chapter 3, God charged us for knowing the truth, but suppresses the truth. And one of these truths about humanity is about humanity suppressing that God is the Creator God. And according to God in Romans 3, that we all have no excuse, that God made Himself known to us through all of His creation. So a biochemist, and a God skeptic, Francis Crick, who shared the Nobel Prize for discovering the molecular structure of DNA, cautiously invoked this word called miracle. So, yet an honest man, armed with the knowledge of, that's available to us now, could only state that in some sense, the origin of lives appear at the moment to almost a miracle. So many are the conditions which have to, have to be met, to be satisfied to get it going. So what is he in essence saying? A great man who acknowledged the complexity of the origin of life, the complexity of life, but very cautiously called it a miracle, but chose not to give credit to God. And that's what it is. We thank God there are scientists among us, not in ARPC, but scientists among us, you know, that has who hold science in one hand and firmly believe in God. And I myself benefited a lot from John Leonard's teaching. We have met him before. He came many years ago for the one of our Equip conference. I heard his teaching. I heard the way he argues and presents science and, and, and God. I want to commend this book for your reading. That has helped me a lot as well. Called The Seven Days That Divides the World. 
we need to equip ourselves. Yes, not all our friends may geared towards this whole idea about science and God. But many of our friends may not acknowledge that God is the Creator God. The more we equip ourselves to know their objection, the more we are able to point them to the right point in the Bible to show them that God is a Creator God. The other reason why we must, the gospel message must start at creation can be found in 1 John, chapter, John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, and Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. So say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, not anything was, anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. What is John saying here? John began his gospel with, in the beginning. And it's the very same three words that is found in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning. What happened at the beginning? Creation happened. Creation happened and God, our Lord Jesus, was very much in the midst of it. How do we know? John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And therefore John says, all things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. And Paul echoes the same similar words in Colossians. It's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heavens and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things. What these two passages tell us is this, isn't it? The gospel begins at creation because that is our beginning. At creation, our Lord Jesus is at work to bring the whole creation into being. And on the cross, He continued to bring us back to what God has intended creation to be. At creation, our Lord Jesus God Himself was the rightful King over all creation. Sin has changed that. Sin reversed that. But our Lord Jesus came to bring us back, to be under God as our rightful ruler and King again. And therefore, therefore our God deserves all glory, all praise and all honour. But let us do Revelation 4, 11 again. Cannot. Ready? One, two, three. Worthy are you, our Lord, our God. Now no, no verse for you, alright? Okay, let's try again. I didn't hear I didn't, I didn't hear my own voice. Okay, let's try again. One, two, three. The black screen first. Okay, one, two, three. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. Why? For he created all things, and by his will they existed and were created. Very good. He's all-powerful. He created us, sustains us, and He mercifully rescued us. So back to my world, earlier worldview, when we take God out of the origin of life, we have the worldview that there is no God. We must put God back into the origin of life. We must be out there telling others that our God is a creator. Because they say, they say that 
There is no evidence for God. But we only need to look at ourselves. We need to look at all, our, all the living creatures to know that every living creature needs this delicate, that delicate biological structure in order to survive. Any minute alteration will result in death. The complexity, the beauty can only point us to a divine being. So it's very hard for me, I hope it's for you too, to believe that randomness can produce such complexity and such beauty. They say that there's no life after death. God tells us that He exists before time. God will continue to be God when the whole earth ends. And God promised that he, we will be with Him eternally. Pastor Chris was saying in the, in the earlier message, right? That in my father's house, there are many rooms. What are the rooms for? For us to dwell with him eternally. And that is our hope. That is the hope that we want to point our friends to. That there is life after death. They say that there is no absolute foundation for right and wrong. God tells us that he creates, he sustains and he rules over all creation. And God holds the absolute foundation of right and wrong because He is a rightful ruler of all His creation. So all of us who live and profess Jesus as Lord, we live under His Lordship and under the absolute right and wrong. It's only under the absolute right and wrong that we can actually live in freedom in this earth that God has created. They say, that there is no ultimate meaning for life. On the contrary, in Christ, we experience the fullness of life, not just here on earth, but we look forward to the eternity. Yes, while on this side of heaven, we have not fully experienced the redeemed life because of sin. But Jesus has redeemed us, broken the power of sin. So when we call Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour, we now live in freedom, no longer bound by sin, and we can actually fully enjoy the spiritual blessing that God has given to us as a glimpse of what we will be in heaven. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the good news that we must share to our friends and our family. This is the good news that they must hear. This good news surpasses the news for rare birds. Surpasses, way surpasses the news of a good sale and definitely it outweighs any news that we experience. Not that the things that we experience are not good, but this good news of salvation outweighs all this. Do we believe in that? If yes, as we eagerly share about good news of birds, we share about good news of good sales, we share good news of things that happen to us. We must even be more eager to share about Jesus because what this good news is about, it affects the life and death of a single person. There's only two ways to live, my friends. The way of unbelief that leads to death and eternal separation from God or the way of believing in Jesus. That God is our creator. 
God is our King and we live our life on here on earth under the Lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for calling us, saving us, for being our Creator who fearfully and wonderfully create each one of us. And we give you thanks. And we pray, O oh Lord, that may we go forth and really proclaim this good news and help us to have the confidence to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.